0: Hebrews chapter 6, I'll be reading Hebrews chapter 6, verses 13 to 20. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you the unchangeable character of His purpose, He guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Blessed is the reading of God's holy Now, before I pray, first just think about how we, who who are parents, we care. We care about the emotional stability of our children. We don't want them to be depressed. We don't want them to be without hope. We don't want them to be discouraged. We say all kinds of things like, okay, look. Settle down, you studied, you studied hard, you studied well, you you can do this, you're gonna do well on your your test. Get a good night's sleep or go out there and play ball. Have fun, get up tight, just play like you can and you're, you're gonna be just fine. But none of us should ever, ever think that our care and support for the encouragement of any of our own children or loved ones or nieces or nephews in any way is nearly as strong as the Father's desire to encourage, to support, to, to lift up the the, the, the surety of, of confidence in Him for any of His children who have fled for refuge in Jesus. This morning's text is meant, it is meant to drive home to the believer that our Heavenly Father is yearning for us to be strongly encouraged in the pursuit of our hope. In fact, God does not just look for opportunities to encourage us, but He creates those opportunities. He creates them specifically for the purpose of encouraging us, His kingdom. Listen to how he says it in verses 17 and 18. Hear it. So, when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, to show what? The unchangeable character of his purpose, what did he do? He therefore guaranteed it with an oath. Why? So that, in order that, by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong. Encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. Notice he says, God, the Father, desired something. And that desire caused Him to act and make an oath. In order that verse 18 would happen, that we would have strong encouragement. So if you're a Christian, we're going to notice this morning that your father he acts in verse 17 for the purpose of strongly encouraging you. Let's pray. So, Father, I ask that you will work the fruit of this text in us, your people. That every barrier to to a lack of trust in your goodness and desire to encourage us would fall through the preaching of this passage. And through it may we find ourselves being weaned from the love of the world and the flesh, and strongly encouraged in the hope of your promise guaranteed with an oath. Do it, Lord, for the encouragement of our souls, and thus to the glorification of your Son. Amen. So if you're there in Hebrews 6, notice that the passage, verse 13, begins with the word for, which means it's connected to what came before, which means he is now supporting what he just Said, So what he's going to do is he's going to now use Abraham in that situation in Genesis as an example to support what he just said in verses 11 and 12. So read that. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope. Until the end, so that you may not be sluggish or dull of hearing. But you would be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So, God wants us to have full assurance of hope so that we don't become sluggish. Same word dull that He used earlier, dull of hearing, which means so that we don't drift away from Him, from the Word. And that, that, that drifting, it would mean that we're drifting from what the Father tells us in the Word. Which the drifting, therefore, would mean that our focus, our excitement, our happiness, our joy in Him is slowly turning away. Our our, our joy of being delivered from the guilt of our sin and the promise of the resurrection and eternal life and mercy and His joy in us and with us forever is just way over there now. Because we are Drifted. It begins to fade in our attention. That's what he's fighting against. And the great news that he tells us is that way back in history and, and right now, God has worked and he is working to keep that drifting, happening to the elect. That's what verses 13 to 20 is about. The writer begins in verses 13 to 15 this way. For when God made a promise to Abraham... Since he had no one greater by whom to swear. He swore by himself. Saying. Surely I will bless you. And multiply you. And thus. Abraham having patiently waited. Obtained the promise. So. The author takes us to the book of Genesis, takes us all the way back to Genesis chapter 22, verses 16 and 17 in order to hammer home the absolute certainty of our salvation, of his promises to us. Remember the context, Justin read it this morning. After Abraham, in obedience to God, brought Isaac up to the mountain, left the servants behind, just the two of them, put the wood on the altar, stacked it, was ready to light a match. After he plunged a knife into him and God said, Stop! He was never going to have him do that. And then the text of Genesis 22, verses 16 to 17 said, By myself, I have sworn, declares Yahweh. Because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. Okay, so look, the author of Hebrews, he sees this passage and he sees two things in it. He sees God's promise and he sees... God's sworn testimony to it. His oath. The promise that that Abraham would be blessed and his descendants would multiply. And he sees the oath. By myself, I have sworn. So Abraham is exhibit A. And so let's get the flow of his thought. Here in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 12, remember he had just said, It is by faith and patience that we inherit in the future the promises. Exhibit A Abraham, through faith and patience, obtained the promise. But right here, the emphasis of the Hebrew writer, is not on Abraham's faith. The emphasis is on the object of his faith. The surety of the promise. Because God swore an oath. And now the writer is going to unfold how that relates to us right now today in this room in 2022. Starting with verse 16. He picks up on the oath that God made. His purpose for doing so is to show how much God for his children. The promise is not just for Abraham because verse 17, look at it, speaks of the heirs, the inheritors of the promise. This refers to all of Abraham's spiritual children descendants, which means if you have come alive to Jesus, if you have awakened to the amazing promises of the gospel of Jesus and have fled for refuge in Him, then this means you. The promise is that we will be blessed. Surely... I will bless you. And he means here ultimate blessing forever before God. I mean, you get to chapter 11 of Hebrews, right? In Abraham, that's where Abraham wasn't looking for a temporal city, but one that is eternal. One whose architect is God. In the end, this is the blessing. This is God's promise. The strong encouragement of that promise, then, he unfolds in verses 19 and 20. We have this as a sure and steadfast, immovable anchor of the soul, it's a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. If that promise is not a solid rock of encouragement, then nothing is. Or you just have not understood the words. But now the main thing that the author of Hebrews draws out of Genesis chapter 22 is not the content of the promise. Oh, it's there. But his main focus then goes to the oath that God made. The oath that backs up the promise. With those words, by myself I have sworn declares the Lord. So when God says surely I will, yes surely too but then surely I will bless you He backs that thing up with, I really want you to know how much I mean it. So I'm going to put my hand on the Bible and swear an oath. And so then the writer asks here in our text, why do you do that? Why go that far, God? Why add an oath? On top of the promise, is not your word... Let it be yes if it's yes, and let it be no if it's no. Isn't it good enough? And then he answers his question in verses 17 and 18. Hear it. Here's his answer why he does it. I'm going to read it slowly. So when God desired, when He Desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise. To show what? The unchangeable character of His purpose. Therefore, that's why He guaranteed it with an oath. Why? So that. By two, the promise and the oath. By two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. We who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement. There's His goal. Strong encouragement to hold firm to the hope that is set before us. Why did He do it? Because God had you, believer. And I don't mean you, believers. I mean one at a time, He had you in mind. He was desiring to show you the unchangeableness of His purpose, of His will, of His desires. But not just to show you, according to the text, to show you more convincingly. That's why he guaranteed it with an oath. You who love Jesus, the Father is saying to you, look, my child. I know everything you go through each week. And he's constantly saying, look at how sure my promise is to you. Look at my deep desire and purpose for you. So that you, we'll have strong encouragement. God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are wholeheartedly committed to working for your hope. He wants us to think about the future and to be totally confident about how it will turn out. That's the point of this paragraph. So he adds an oath to the promise. By myself I have sworn. And those words hit this author with a ton of bricks. And so he ponders those words. He ponders that oath in verse 16. For people swear by something greater than themselves. And in all disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So he uses... Humanity, for millennia, have used different kinds of ways to swear an oath. When there's a dispute between two parties, do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth, so help you God under the penalty of perjury? Or you come together with a contract. we, We go to the notary public. She's the witness. He's the witness. Everything's signed off. It's an oath you're swearing. The oath confirms the promise to each other in contracts. And it ends a dispute. But notice, they swear the oath on something or someone greater than themselves. So, Chief Justice stands there and a newly elected president has what? A Bible? Someone's holding it. Puts the right or left hand on the Bible. I think it's left, right hand up. And I swear to uphold the Constitution of the United States swear on something greater than themselves. Or my family is a survivor TV show family for 22 years. And we have seen, because this is how you really lie to people. Because who would ever swear on their mother's grave? If they didn't mean it, but it's amazing what they will do to win to win someone over because that person's swearing on their mother's dead body. Or I swear to God. Why, why does that work in, in, in humanity? What are we doing? We are basically saying, if I, I put my hand in the Bible and I swear and I'm lying to you, We're saying this Bible is chock full of lies all over the place. Or my mother is a liar like I'm lying to you. Or I swear to God I didn't do it. means if I'm lying, then God is utterly untrustworthy and false. That's why we swear. Oaths and something greater. In other words, to the degree that one values that which he or she swears upon... To that degree, that promise, take it to the bank. It's trustworthy. And so the writer, he looks at Genesis and he sees how God swore an oath. And he says in verse 13 of our passage For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear. He swore by himself. He's saying, I want to give my people, I want to give the elect, I want to give those who embrace my son strong encouragement. Therefore, I will add an oath. I, God, will place my hand on such and such and swear in order to show them how much I want them and their hope to be undergirded with surety. So what do I, God, swear by? Should I swear by all of creation and the vast, massive universe? Or, or maybe I swear on humanity, the pinnacle of creation? No. Nope. Nothing. Nothing in all creation is great enough to give the level of encouragement to my children that I desire to give to them. But there is one thing. That there is one value above all other values combined. There's one reality that God is less likely to dishonor than any Thing else. In fact, it is impossible for him to dishonor what he puts his hand upon here. There is one being whose worth, whose honor, whose v- value, whose greatness is exceedingly more. Than any and everything else combined. And that's God Himself. And so God swears on Himself. Since He had no one greater, by whom to swear, He swore by Himself. God did not swear an oath because without the oath, his word wasn't good enough. He did it because Abraham and we are weak. And he tenderly cares for his own children. He deeply, really Desires to show, to prove, to to demonstrate, to display, to drive home the hopefulness of our future. He really wants us to get this. Read the text again, verse 17 and 18. Let him... By the Spirit speak to you. So when God desired to show more convincingly to put your name in there, to Joe, the unchangeable character. Of His purpose, He guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, Joe, or you, who have fled for refuge in Jesus, might have strong encouragement. To hold fast to the hope that is set before us. So he states the obvious there, right? It is impossible for God to lie. Because if God lied, He would be denying Himself as the essence of what truth is. Because He is truth. It's an impossibility. Which means this. If God says to you, My eternal Son I sent and gave Him up into sacrificial death. And in so doing, I punished all of your sin in Him now. He has borne it. Justice is upheld. If He says that to you, if He says not only that, Jesus' perfect humanity without sin and walking in obedience and in perfect righteousness to me was as a substitute for you so that His righteousness I attribute to you If He says to you, this human being, My eternal Son without beginning who became man, after death was raised from the dead and ascended, and He has gone and will come there next week, behind the curtain, into My holy presence to live forever. More In order to make the pathway for you to come in there and not die. If God says that to you, the point of the text is, you can bank on it. And when this God, who cannot lie, confirms His word with an oath, He does it because He loves us much more than any parent loves a child. He does it for our sake. Verse 17 says, He desired to show more convincingly the unchangeableness of His purpose for us. And so what we end up with, according to the author, are two unchangeable things. God's promise and God's oath. If He could have sworn on anything higher than He swore upon, He would have done so. But why does He do it, therefore, on the highest of all things, Himself? Don't miss the answer. The answer is, in the context of your own life right now, whatever that may be, in the context of fears, of discouragements, He did it because of His love for you, believer. He did it because He wants you to have a strong encouragement in your hope in Him and in the gospel. The logic of verses 17 and 18 is clear. There's one main action. In verse 17, God puts His hand on Himself, swears an oath. And He does that for one main purpose. Verse 18, so that we who love Jesus would have strong encouragement. God's oath to bless all of those descendants. God's oath to what He promises is guaranteed. It's sure. God will. Here's the point. You could know it. Because He swore on Himself. And God will never despise God. Or dishonor Himself. He is the greatest in all existence. There is nothing not even close. There's an infinite chasm between His value and all other things that exist. And so, God swears by God purpose in doing so is to say to you this morning Sonia Shirley Lynn Bree Chris Chris put your names in there it is to say I mean for you To have your confidence. To have your trust. Expand. I want it to grow. To its most. Possibly. Highest. Points. That's what your heavenly father. Shouts to you. In the Scripture and whispers to you in your quiet times in tears or fears I made an oath put your name there this is our God the Father cares for us Now put it, stretch the scripture out to where we've been in larger context. Yes, the Lord says to us, don't be sluggish. Don't be dull of hearing. Yes, he says to us, pursue full assurance of hope in God's promises, which he himself confirmed with an oath. He says, lay hold of hope, the hope that is set before you in your future, lay hold of it. Every single one of us in this room, all the way from Lucas up to late 60's or 70's, We are all getting older. We're all, all of us are moving closer to the grave. As the Apostle Paul said to us, if in this life only we have hoped, In Christ, we we are of all people most to be pitied. But in, in our lives, look, there are many good times to come. There are many good meals before us to eat, picnics, family time, games. Kids' sporting events or your favorite teams and joy or shopping or hobbies. Kids and grandkids. Weddings. Marriage. Marital sex. But there are fewer of those times today than there were yesterday in front of us. And all of those things, they're not rubbish. their gifts and they should cause hearts of thankfulness for that meal for that grandchild that friend that game but they are all rubbish in comparison to the surpassing worth or value of who Jesus will be to us at our death. As Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Even down here during this life, In trials and hardships and tears and fears, the Apostle Peter says that we Christians rejoice with a joy that's inexpressible and filled with glory. And the context is this, that is only because there's a hope that's set before us. Don't let anyone ever accuse me of not being practical. This is the application of our text. Let us pursue, go hard after, hope. How? Practically, by absorbing the Bible... Uh, Not done yet. That that itself won't do it. Absorbing the Bible and pursuing and seeking the tangible influence of the presence of the Holy Spirit through prayer, communion, while meditating on these promises. Go after it. God desires for His kids to be strongly encouraged to go hard after hoping in His Word, the promises. And our hope is guaranteed with double surety. Because God's promised it, and He did it while laying His hand on Himself and made an oath. Oh, He is good. Let what's happening in your hearts right now come through in these words we're going to sing over these closing minutes. To the glory of His name. Let's pray. Father, You're good. You're wonderful. Oh, now we really see why Jesus says, you guys know, want to give good things to your children, but nothing compares to my Father and what He gives to His children. For you're perfectly holy and good and wise and just. And therefore, where else is there to go but to follow your Son? behind the curtain, where He has offered His blood on the mercy seat for us. Oh, glorify Him, Holy Father, in His precious name, Jesus, Amen and Amen. Let us stand.